This morning, as we launch into part two of Teach Us to Pray, we're going to be looking at how to build a lifestyle of prayer, how to build a discipline of prayer. Last week, we took a look at the question of how do we pray? How do we pray? And and really asking the question, is it okay to ask that question? How do I pray? Because the assumption is at times that if you are a Christ follower, you're a believer, then the moment that happens, you automatically just know how to pray. But the reality is the, the majority of us don't. The majority of us struggle in prayer because we get about two, three minutes and we've said everything that we feel like we need to say and we're like, what am I going to do with the rest of the time? We let confidence. And so what we did is we took a look at the disciples and a question that they asked Jesus. They asked him in Luke chapter 11, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? They overheard him pray. These guys knew how to pray. They grew up memorizing prayers. But when they heard Jesus pray, their response was, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus' response to them was the Lord's Prayer. And we looked at the Lord's Prayer and saw that in those five verses really are seven statements that Jesus makes that are guideposts and are uh, topics for us to pray through. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner. He did not say, when you pray, say these words. Don't just memorize it and recite it, but pray like this. So we walked through the seven ways that uh, topics that you can pray through. And I challenged all of you to do it. And I won't have a ra- uh, showing of hands, but I hope that some of you took those notes and did it. And because you can spend 15 minutes in prayer just doing that. So that was looking at how. And today is with a, a lifestyle of prayer, a discipline of prayer and building that in our lives. And I want to answer a couple questions in that is, why is a lifestyle of prayer important and how do I do it, right? How do I build a lifestyle of prayer? Last Thursday night, Lauren and I were on our way back uh, with Carson. We took him to see The Secret Life of Pets because he wanted to see that movie. And so we're on our way back and my son, he's five and he asks questions all the time. I mean, he literally never shuts up. He's just like me. Question, 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 question. And so we're riding back, and he asked us a question, and the question was something to do with, why did God do this, or how did God make this? And I was sensing an opportunity to teach him how to pray, so I said, Carson, why don't you just pray about it? Just ask God why, because I honestly didn't have the answer. You know? So just you know, pray about it. And so we hear him back there praying in the car. And uh, after a few moments, Carson says, why isn't God talking to me? And I said, well, buddy, sometimes you just, you just have to listen and be quiet. And, and uh, so we just sat there and listened and be quiet. And finally I said, Carson, what did God say to you? He said, God said, I don't know. <laughs> that was his, his response. God said, I don't know. How many of you ever just kind of approached prayer that way? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. And I don't know. You talked about building a discipline of prayer. I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. And that's what I want to look at today. Just really practical here today. Why is a lifestyle of prayer important? And how do I build that lifestyle? First question, why? I believe that Jesus answers this in John chapter 15. He's having a discussion with his disciples and he's talking about the importance of remaining and staying connected with him and with the Father. And here's what he, here's what he tells the disciples here in John 15. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. For I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. From the first 
word in this passage of scripture, we find Jesus giving the answer. He says this phrase, remain in me, remain. This word remain literally means to be consistently, constantly, and continually present with, to be connected. Jesus is saying, hey, look, I want you to be consistently and constantly and continually present with me. And when you do that, I just want you to know, I also will be consistently and continually and constantly present with you. I want you just to be connected with me and the Father at all times. And then he goes on to give an example. He says, here's the analogy for you. Just as a branch is connected to the tree, that's what I want you to be, because that branch cannot bear the fruit or the, uh, the fullest expression of its purpose if it doesn't stay connected to the tree. The source of life for that fruit is not in the branch, it's in the tree, which is in its roots, right? Jesus said, just as that branch is connected and life and power can flow through that branch to those blossoms so those fruit can bloom so that we can eat it and receive sustenance and there's a seed inside that fruit which can go back in the ground and can produce another tree. It's got to stay connected to its source. And in the same way, each and every one of you, Jesus talking to his disciples, talking to us today, you are all branches and you have to stay connected to the source to live the life that I've called you to live, to experience the fullest expression of your purpose and the reason that I created you. Stay connected. Remain in me. Why is the lifestyle of prayer important? Because it keeps us connected to the tree who is God. It keeps us remaining in him. Because the real question is, how do I remain, right? Does that mean that I just pray all the time? That I I don't go to work and I'm just on my face before the Lord all the time, praying and remaining? No. Yes, I know the scripture says pray without ceasing, but it doesn't mean that our posture is on our knees or on our face before God all the time. That's not a lifestyle of prayer. I want to share with you today just four things that you can do. Call them the four P's of prayer, all right? If you have your notes, you can bring them out. The four P's of prayer. And they're kind of in two categories. The first three are decisions that you have to make. Decisions concerning a lifestyle and a discipline of prayer. The last P, principle of prayer, is an understanding of the relationship that we have with God. It's better said like this, understanding who we're praying to. Anybody ever get confused when you're who? Do I pray to God? Do I pray to Jesus? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? Or do I just pray around all three? Talk a little bit about that. But these first three, first three are decisions that we have to make and answering the question, how? How do I build a discipline of prayer in my life? Here's the first one, and it's this. It's the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. It's a decision that we all have to make that prayer will take priority in our lives. That it will have precedence, that it will have meaning, and that it will have purpose in our lives. Prayer isn't one of those things that just happens, right? It's not one of those things that, you know, you, you become a, a Christian, a Christ follower, and then you just, you just pray, right? You just wake up in the morning and you're ready to go, and you just, you just cannot wait to let the prayers flow out of you. It does happen naturally when we're going through hard times, right? Something hard happens, we're like, oh God, where are you? What happened? Why? That's, that's when prayer comes naturally. It doesn't come naturally when things are going good. It doesn't come naturally when, when you know, our daily lives are just ticking along and they're moving at a good pace. It, the priority of prayer. It's a, it's a decision that we have to make. 
You know that, that God desires so much more than what we're doing right now? Did you know this is not the hallmark and the pinnacle of, what we, of our Christian life? Did you know this is not the fullest expression of what it means to be a Christ follower? I think in our society, we've relegated Christianity to a four-hour slot on Sunday morning. Eight o'clock to noon. Then we go out for lunch. And then life begins. But, but God desires relationship, right? God desires all of us because he saved our soul. He saved every piece of us. He created us. He gave his only son for us. He wants every part of who we are. He wants relationship with me and relationship with you. And in that, God desires to be first. How many of you are competitive? You like to win. Come on. I got three competitive people in the room. Everybody else likes to lose. We all like to win. God wants to be first, not so that he can win, not because he has an ego complex, not be, but because he knows the, that the first has the power to bless the rest. That when he's first in our lives, the rest will be blessed. When he takes priority. See, that's why God wants to be first in your finances. Not because he wants your money, but because he doesn't want your money to have you. You give God first place in your finances, the rest will be blessed. It works. We can argue about it after church if you want, but it works. He wants to be first in your family. First relationship, the rest will be blessed. He wants to be first in your job. First in your body. First in your day. Because the power of the first has the power to bless the rest. Now, if you pray at night, I'm not saying you're wrong. This isn't like a commandment, right? Like if you pray at noon every day, then probably bump that up to seven because you're doing it wrong. No, (laughs) not saying that. Okay. I'm just saying God wants to be first. And if you'll put him first in your day, I'm telling you the rest will be blessed. I don't mean you won't have troubles. I don't mean things aren't going to go wrong. I'm just saying your time will be better. Your focus will be better. It'll set the course for your day. It'll set the tone for your day. It'll set your attitude for the day. It's got to be a priority. It's a decision that you make. It's not a decision that God makes for you. It's not a Holy Ghost feeling in the morning when you get up. Okay? It's not always a worship service where you get up and you want to, you know, you just feel the power of God all the time. No, it's a decision that you make. See, and we have a good example of this in Daniel. Daniel was a, a, a man that was living in under uh, a rule, the rule of the Persian Empire. They had overtaken the Israelite nation, and he's living there. And he had risen to a, pro, a position of prominence. But there went out this decree from the Persian king that said, you can no longer pray to God. You can only bow down to the king. Can't pray anymore. And this is what Daniel's response is to that decree that went out. So now when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Now here's the phrase that's important. Just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. His his decision to pray was not in response to the decree that had gone out. His decision to pray was rooted in the fact that he'd made prayer a priority in his life. I'm not advocating that you sit three times a day and pray and face a particular direction. What I'm advocating is is that 
prayer would be a priority in our lives, we would make the decision that regardless of what my day entails, regardless of how busy I will be, regardless of how I feel when I get up, I'm just going to make prayer a priority for me. I'm not saying an hour. I'm not saying two hours. I'm saying, what if it were five minutes? What if you just started with five minutes? Make it a priority. Say, how do I do that? Here's a practical step for you to make prayer a priority. And it's so practical, you're probably going to laugh and think it's dumb. But just put it on your calendar. Put it in your smartphone. Put it on your to-do list. Any to-do list people up in here? Yeah. Put it on your to-do list. Make an appointment with God and keep it. Like, let's say it's 7 o'clock in the morning. You write on your calendar, meeting with God or prayer, or however you do it. Someone says, hey, Josh, uh, Monday morning, can you meet me at breakfast for 7? I can't. I have an appointment. You don't have to go into it and be all weird. Say, no, that's the time I meet with the Father. <laughs> I'll just say, hey, hey, I've got an appointment, but I, I can meet you at 7.30. Just make an appointment and keep it. It seems weird, but we put all kinds of stuff on our calendars, Right? We, we put all kinds of stuff on our tool. What if you just scheduled in God? Say, hey, I'm going to do that. You say, well, I can't schedule in God. He's God of the universe. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Yeah, but just what if you just wrote him in on your paper? He is all those things. But remember, he wants a relationship. He wants this remaining. So make an appointment and keep it. That simple. Put it on there. Five minutes. Start with five minutes. See what God does. Guarantee you, if you do that, it'll change you. May not change every situation in your life, but it will change you. Guarantee it. Here's the second thing, second P of prayer. It's this. It is the place of prayer. The place. Once you make prayer a priority for you, you make that decision, then find your place. Anybody that's grown up in church, you've probably heard this phrase, prayer closet. Anybody like, like, where's your prayer closet? You got a prayer closet? No, I don't have a prayer closet. It's just a term that was used because for years and years, people literally did pray in their closet. And some of you may still do that. You have a room that you go to. You lock yourself in, turn some music on, whatever, read your Bible. You pray in that closet. I'm just advocating, find a place. Find a place and just keep it sacred for that little amount of time. We'll say, what, what could my place be? It could be your living room. It could be your kitchen. It could be walking through your subdivision in the morning. It could be going out to your garden. It could be your car on the way to work. Anybody sitting in 270 traffic? You've got a whole bunch of time to pray because you're going to be doing something, right? You're going to be saying something in that traffic. could be your... Yeah. You'll be raising your hands, all kinds of stuff. It could be your car. It could, it could be anywhere. Just find a place. You know, Jesus had a place. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says this. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, most scholars and historians believe that this was not just a one-time event for Jesus, but this was his daily pattern. This was his ritual, so to speak. He would get up even before the sun came up. That's not me. All right? That was him. He would get up and his place that he went to, they they believe it was the Garden of Gethsemane, which overlooked the city of Jerusalem. He would get up there early in the morning and he would pray. That was his place. What's your place? It doesn't have to be, you know, a closet, so to speak. It's incredibly practical. Where can you just take a little bit of time and say, Father, I'm making this a priority. I just want to spend some time with you and and you incorporate what we talked about last week. Find a place. Make an appointment and keep it. 
Find a place and go there. Simple. Simple. Here's the third one. Is this, it's the plan of prayer. The plan of prayer. And this is really what we talked about last week. Is walking into prayer, knowing how to do it, having a plan. Jesus gave us a plan. The Lord's Prayer, right? Those five verses, seven statements, that's a plan of prayer. When you walk into prayer without a plan, having an idea of what you're going to pray for, it's like walking into the gym without having an exercise plan. Anybody ever done that? You walk into the gym, you're pumped, you're ready to go, you want to work out, you want to build muscle, you want to lose your love handles, right? So you, you walk in there and to your right is all the cardio equipment, to your left you've got all these machines and then you've got some free weights and you've got a Smith machine and you've got all this stuff and you know, you've got leg machines and you're like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, let me get on the treadmill and uh, do that for a little bit. And then you walk off and uh, let me, yeah, I'm going to do some bench. And you get up there and it's a lot heavier than you thought. So you get like three reps in. That was pretty hard. Uh, and you just, you just fiddle around for about 30 minutes and walk out. Didn't even break a sweat. I went to the gym. Right, well, you got a plan. You know your workout. You walk in and you don't got to think, right? This is what I'm doing. Three sets of 10 on the bench. Three sets of 10 on lat pull. Three sets of 10 on chest fly. You just walk around. 30 minutes on cardio. You get in there. I'm telling you what, when you have a plan, two things happen. You enjoy it more, and it's more meaningful as well. You enjoy it more, and it's more meaningful. Just as when you go to a gym with a plan, you walk out after that 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, you feel like you worked out. You didn't have to expend the mental energy to try to figure out what the machine was and how to even use it, right? You had a plan. That plan will help you. It'll guide you. It'll direct you. It is okay to have a plan when you pray. I know that's difficult for some of us who just grew up in church and we just like the Holy Spirit's just like, you know, all the time doesn't have a plan moving around, you know? Yeah, the Holy Spirit's free to do whatever he wants. We're good with that, but we can have a plan. We can have an idea when we sit down. I'm going to pray. Just like we did last week. Holy Spirit can interrupt that. It's great. That's how he works. It's okay. Have a plan. For some of you, you're not in that vein. You're in the vein where it's just it's difficult for me to pray. I don't, I don't know if I could spend 30 minutes in prayer. That's okay. What about five? What about ten? Take what we did last week and just work through that. When you got a plan, I'm going to tell you what happens. That 10 minutes you set aside, you get about halfway through your plan. Your 10 minutes is up. And it was meaningful. It was enjoyable. It wasn't this burden and this weight. See, next week, we're going to give you a plan. When you come in, we're going to have a prayer guide for you that has the plan we talked about last week, has a couple other, other different plans, has a place for you to write in names of family members you're praying for, names of government officials, and all this kind of stuff. It's a plan you can use. I hope you use it so much. You've got coffee stains on it, tea stains, all that stuff. We have to come back and get more, and we'll just give it to you, but it's got a plan for you. We're going to have that on your seats when you come in next week. But that's the third one, the plan of prayer. So it's the priority, it's the place. Number three, is the plan. Those are decisions that you have to make, right? I, got, I have to decide it's a priority. I have to find a place, and I got to use a plan. That's all mental decisions. Here's the, the fourth one, and, and my opinion is the most important and the most misunderstood, and it's this. It's the persons of prayer with a capital P, the persons of prayer. This is understanding the relationship that we have, whom we are praying to, 
See, it can be kind of confusing if, you, if you're not really sure. You know, I, do I pray to God? Do I pray to Jesus? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? You ever find yourself when you're praying, you're like, dear Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I come to you. Like, and you're just kind of like, I don't know. I, I don't want to offend any one of them. I don't want to leave any one of them out. And, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it can be a little bit confusing for us at times. And, and really also is how we view God determines our relationship with him. And this is a big thing. How we view him determines how we interact with him. In the same way, how you view a particular individual determines your level of interaction with them. If you think they're one way, you'll, you'll act one way. If you think they're another way, you'll act another way. In the same way, what's your view of God? How do you view him? For me, I grew up in an environment, not here, where, where God was this incredibly legalistic judge and authoritarian who was always going to tell me what I did wrong. Always. Like, so I didn't want to pray because I was afraid. Like, I, I don't want to spend time in God's presence. I don't want to go to a prayer closet because I'm just going to find out everything that's wrong with me. Like, I know what's wrong with you. How many of you know what's wrong with you? How many of you want to go listen to somebody tell you what's wrong with you? No way, that was me. I, God, I don't want to. I'm afraid. And no, 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 no. Let me, let me, let me, let me fix my stuff. Let me, let me do these things I know I need to do. And then I'll come and pray. Then I'll come and spend time in your presence when I feel better about me. See, I, I, I saw God as just waiting to bam. And it fundamentally kept me. And it wasn't that I just didn't feel confident about praying. It was I didn't want to. Because I knew what I was doing. I knew that there were issues in my life that I felt like I had to fix. That's what this piece here is. And that's where I just want to sit for the rest of our time together. Is understanding the persons of prayer. You know, Paul laid out for us a pretty neat description. As he closed out 2 Corinthians, his last letter to the church at Corinth. He writing to them, and this is one of his wishes for them. And in this, he gives us a, the Godhead and a description and a beautiful order for us, I believe, to follow. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Here's his, his prayer for the people. He said, I pray that the amazing grace of the Master of Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit would be with you all. Gives us an, an order there. Right? He, he talks about all three persons of the Trinity, of the Godhead. And he says it like this. The amazing grace of Jesus, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Some translations say the extravagant love of the Father. Those three. I, I want to talk about those three and help us to gain an understanding. Here's what I'm going to ask you in the next few moments is this. Whatever your view of God is or of Jesus or of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, if you even think it's slightly off or, you know, tainted by something, if you could take that view and just set it aside for a moment and let us look according to Scripture who he really is and allow your view of God to be challenged and even to be changed here in the next few moments because it will fundamentally change how you pray and how you approach God. The first person of the Godhead that Paul says is this. It's the amazing grace of Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ, the master or the master, Jesus Christ, the amazing grace of Jesus. So when we pray and when you hear people pray, or you see it in the new Testament, you hear this, right? Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would heal my brother. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would help. You ever heard that and wonder why we do that? Why we say, Father, God, in the name of Jesus. It's because that Jesus, according to the New Testament, he is our mediator. He mediates this relationship that we have with God. He is our, he's the one who stands in the gap. He is our representative to the Father. Right? Jesus came on this earth and he lived for 33 and a half years and he experienced everything that you and I experienced, every temptation, every opportunity to do wrong. In fact, the Bible says that he was touched with the infirmity, with the temptation that we had. He knows what it's like, but he lived a perfect, sinless life. So here's what it looks like when we pray to God and we pray in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus literally takes our prayers and presents them to the Father. He's our mediator, right? He's standing in the gap for us. He is our representative to the Father. So here's what it looks like when I pray. Mom, Josh, Father, I I pray in the name of Jesus. I've been struggling with lust. I've been struggling with fear. Jesus takes those prayers to the Father. Father, Josh is struggling with lust and fear. And Father, I know what it's like because I was on earth and I lived it and I felt the temptation to be lustful. I felt the temptation to be fear. But Father, I did not give in. And on the basis of my finished work, on the basis of what I did on the cross, of, on the cross let's help Josh. That's the mediator, Jesus So when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying in the amazing grace of Jesus who's felt everything that you felt, who's been tempted in every single way that you are tempted, yet was without sin. So when I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying under the authority of Jesus, of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I can prove it to you in scripture. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14, verses 15 and 16. Here's what it says. Talking about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest, high priest, representative, mediator, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who, a high priest, a representative, a mediator, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Jesus is our high priest. He's our mediator. He's our representative to God. He knows exactly what it's like. It says he is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but able. Why? Because he was tempted. He was touched with the temptation that we have in every way, yet was found without sin. And it says this, therefore, so let us, because of, we can approach the throne of grace. Who's the throne of grace? The Father, with what? Confidence. Confidence in what? That we may receive grace and find mercy in our time of need. It's the amazing grace of Jesus. So when you pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, you're praying in one who is literally your advocate, who is representing you to the Father. That's why we pray through Jesus, through the cross through the finished work and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we do that, we're praying to the second person of the Trinity, God himself, which is the extravagant love of the Father. Extravagant love of the Father. 
Now, this is one here that I think is the most, probably the most difficult for some of us to come to, is to see God as a father. Reason being is, is that our relationships with our earthly fathers heavily influence and heavily taint and heavily color our view of God. Some of us in here maybe did not have a great relationship with your earthly father. He treated you in such a way that it was not becoming and not representative of who God is. And so to hear God as a father, it's almost inconceivable to see God as a father considering your heavenly father and how you interacted with him, how he interacted with you. It's, it, it's difficult to see that. I, I did not have that struggle. I have a wonderful earthly father. My, the, my father, the way he raised us and the way he treated me and the way he loves me never made me doubt that God could be a father. But that's not the same story for all of us. That's really what I'm asking is to take this view of God and, and set it aside and see who he is. Did you know this? That the, God's favorite name to be called in the Bible is Father? Did you know how he is referred to in the New Testament more than any other name? Father. You know that Jesus referred to God as Father every time except for when he was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then at the end, Father, I commit my hands into your spirit. Like we talked about last week, our Father who is in heaven. And the New Testament writers refer to God as Father. That is the most predominant name that God reveals himself in the New Testament. Father. It's his favorite name. In fact, in some cases, it even goes on to say Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word or a Hebrew word that literally means Daddy. It is a, a term of endearment. If you were go to go to a playground in Jerusalem or somewhere in Israel and you heard the little kids running around, you would hear them say, Abba, 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 Daddy, Daddy, look at me, look at me. This is God's desire. This is how he reveals himself in the person of Jesus as Father. That's who he is. It's his favorite name. Listen to how Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13, describes the Father. This is scripture, all right? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And that word fear literally means to worship, to reverence him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us or our sins. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And again, that word literally means worship and reverence. That's who God is. He is compassionate and full of mercy. Does not treat us how our sins deserve to be treated. Doesn't repay us according to when we mess up and when we blow it. He's taken those sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west. And just as an earthly father is compassionate towards his children, so is he compassionate. Amazing. That's the extravagant love of the father. That's who you're ultimately praying to when you pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, that's the Father that Jesus is representing us to. My son Carson, I told you about, he's five. And when he comes to ask me for something, he never asks me out of fear. 
He never asks me wondering if I'm going to be mad at the fact that he's asking me for something. Because Carson at five understands something. He understands this, that I have his best intention at hand. He understands that I know how to give good things to him. Just as our own heavenly father knows how to give good things to his children. So when Carson asks me, daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have that? Daddy, can you make me a peanut butter sandwich? Daddy, can you do this? He has an expectation that I'm going to do it. Now, I don't give him everything that he asks for, but his expectation is that my daddy loves me and he's going to give me what I need. He's going to take care of me. He doesn't beg me for everything. Toys at the store, maybe. But his posture towards me is not one of begging and fear, like maybe I... I. In the same way, when we go to God, there should be no begging. Should be no fear. Should be no if God, maybe, possibly, I don't know. You may, uh, no, God, I just, I'm going to ask you for it. You give it to me, great. You don't give it to me, that's fine. I know you love me. I know you got the best, my best interest at hand. Why? Because you're compassionate and you're gracious and you're full of mercy. And you don't treat me on the basis of my sins. In fact, you said that I can come before your throne of grace with confidence. What if, what if you understood that? What if that was your view of God and you could go to him, not afraid? Knowing that he would never treat you the way that your earthly father treated you. What if? And it's not a what if, it's true. Change your view of God. It'll change your prayer life because it's the extravagant love of the father. You know, Paul in Ephesians, he begins a prayer. I think it's Ephesians 3.14. And he says this, I come before and I, for this reason is what he says, I kneel before the Father. That's how he starts it, I kneel. In the Jewish culture and their understanding, when they came into the room, what they would do is they would kneel before their Father and their Father would reach out and place their hand on them and give them a blessing. Paul's understanding, Paul was Jewish, was that that's his earthly father, but his heavenly Father, God, is so great. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And he would reach out his hand and bless me. We kneel before him, not out of fear, but simply out of respect and reverence and awe because he's a loving father. And then we have this third one, this third person of prayer, and it's the Holy Spirit. And he may be the most misunderstood person of the Godhead. And the Bible says this, is the intimate friendship. That's how Paul refers to it, as the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this, that the Holy Spirit, the Greek word is this, is parakletos, which literally means, it's, it's, means, it's para, the word paraklete, not parakeet, but paraklete, all right? Paraklete, which literally means this, one who is fastened to your side. Jesus had a discussion with his disciples in John, I think chapter 14, 15, somewhere around there. He said this, hey, it's better that I go Because when I go, the Holy Spirit will come and he will live inside of you. He said, he will be your advocate. He'll be your comforter. He'll be your teacher. He will bring to your remembrance everything that I have said. The friendship of the Holy Spirit, we have one who is by our side, who lives inside of us, who is our advocate, who is our comforter, who is our teacher, who is our helper, who brings to our minds and our remembrance all things about the Father. 
So that means that when you spend time in prayer, you're 5, 10, 20, 30, maybe you're an hour prayer, and you walk away from that, because the Bible says that God is seated in heaven, right? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. So when we walk away from our place of prayer, the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go. And he's advocating for us, and he's comforting us, and he's helping us. And when we are tempted to to do something we know we shouldn't do, it's the Holy Spirit that says, I don't know if you should do that. Anybody ever felt that? That "Mm, maybe that's not right. Maybe you don't want to go that way. The Holy Spirit's pulling you away. He's helping you. When you get depressed and you get worried, it's the Holy Spirit that's bringing scriptures to your mind, bringing to your remembrance, Jesus, hey, I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Have no fear. My perfect love cast out all fear. Hey, I, I didn't give you that spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. He's, just, he's with you all the time. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I go. How cool is that? When you walk away from your place of prayer, you're not walking away from the presence of God because his presence lives in you and is your friend. Friendship with the Father. Whoa. You know, no other religion has friendship, relationship with the divine. They talk about it, but it's inconceivable. And in Christianity, God provided for it in whom? The amazing grace of Jesus. Why? Because he's extravagant in his love for us. Why? Because he wanted intimate friendship with you and I. Why? Because he created you and me. That's what prayer is. Remaining. That's how you build a lifestyle of prayer. Make it a priority. Find a place. Use the plan. And may, as Paul prayed, we all experience the amazing grace of Jesus, the extravagant love of the Father, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's bow your heads. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every person that's here today. Well, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer. We can stand before you with confidence, even if we've got stuff in our lives that shouldn't be there. Why? Because of the amazing grace of Jesus and the love of you. I would, I would ask if there's anybody here this morning, you would say, you know what? I don't know God. I don't have a relationship with him or, or I think I used to and I've kind of walked away and I'm just living my life in a manner that I really shouldn't be. I want to give my life to God. I want to be a Christ follower. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand because I'd love to pray with you. I'd love for you to come to know this wonderful Savior, Jesus. Thank you. Father, I just pray for every person here in the room. I pray that as we walk out of here today, Lord, may there be a hunger and a desire inside of us to spend time with you, Jesus, to spend time in prayer. Help us make those decisions. Help us to make it a priority. Help us to find a place. Help us to utilize the plan. And, oh, Father, may we just know who you are, the amazing grace of Jesus, the extravagant love of the Father, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that in Jesus' name. 